In the mid-1990s, uh, I worked as a day janitor in one of the elementary schools in Jessamine County. And uh, it was a great job. I got to work in the school where Jenny was also employed, and so I worked in the same building. Um, and so she was Mrs. V, and I was Mr. V. Uh, to this day, if I go into certain pockets in the community... I will run into people that call me. They don't know me as Max Vanderpool, Pastor of Generations. They know me as Mr. V. If I go, there's a, a young lady who works at Office Depot now. was in Jenny's class. Mr. V! And she goes through with me, goes through the store with me to figure out where to find things, how to get things. Okay, so Mr. V, Mr. V. So, uh, and I loved it. I got to clean things. I got to fix things. Um, I, I got to really know a group of teachers that were... Um, that were an amazing group of people. And what's happened is that was 20 years ago. And these teachers are now mostly retired. And so in the last year, I have done three funerals for husbands of teachers that I worked with. And I'm having a bit of a crisis. I go to these funerals and I'm like, I now know people old enough to die. Like, I know people old enough to die. This is wigging me out. Like, I work with them. And to make matters worse, four or five weeks ago, one of the kids in this church, he's right over there. He uh, won't mention any names. He's in G-Town at the moment. He looked at me and he says, Pastor Max, how old are you? I told him my age. He paused and he said, you're old enough to die. Listen, kid, I haven't even been to Hawaii yet. I'm not ready to go, okay? There is something that has cropped up in movies, I've noticed. And this thing that comes up in movies that I've seen a lot lately is this idea that this life is all there is, right? And so the protagonist or somebody will die in the movie and some older, wiser character will say, they'll live on in your memories, or they'll live on in the stories that we tell. And when it gets to those moments in the movie, there is this part of me, and I'm having a Dave Ramsey moment where Dave's in the furniture store, and the guy says to him, Dave, the couch is going to cost $1,300. And Dave folds his arm, and he says, that's not good enough, right? In those moments in the movie, I want to cross my arms and I want to say, that's not good enough. I don't want to just live on in stories. I don't want to just live on in somebody's memories. I want to live on. Like, I don't know how you feel about it, but that's kind of how I feel about it. And so there's this thing that happens. I, I want you to know today, this morning at Generations Community Church, that we happen to believe that Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead. We do. We believe it actually happened. It's not just... It wasn't just sightings of Jesus. You know how maybe you have a friend and they hike in the Red River Gorge and they're like, I saw a Sasquatch. And they show you this this grainy photo and you're like, no, that's a rock. That's not an animal. You know, but they're convinced. I saw a Sasquatch. No, we don't think that there were Jesus sightings. We don't think it was a hoax that the disciples got together after Jesus died on the cross and had a big meeting and to try to decide, gosh, we gotta we gotta propel this thing on. We gotta come up with something. I know he rose from the dead. Yes, go with it. Great idea, Peter. And then they kind of we don't believe it played out that way. We don't believe that it's a myth that kind of developed and snowballed over time so that by the time you get to 150 or 200 AD, like Christians all of a sudden believe in the resurrection. 
No, we actually believe Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead. We do. Without the resurrection, without the resurrection, at funerals, let's be honest, funerals are downright depressing. They are. They're downright depressing. Think back to when you were at grandma's funeral, or maybe it was your favorite Aunt Judy, you know, the one who gave you candy all the time and slips money to you, you know, and, and they died, and you were all tore up because they were such an encouragement to you. And at the funeral, the preacher said, don't worry, you're going to see her again. Without the resurrection, you're not. She's just gone. That's depressing to me. This idea that this life is all there is, you live, you're born, you die, this is not a new idea. This has been around a long time. Um, we like to think that because we have smartphones in the internet that we're actually smarter and brighter than the people who lived 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. But they had the same idea. If you go back into the ancient world of the first century, most people thought that this life was all there is. You're, you're, you live, you're born, you live, you die, boom, thanks for playing. And back then it was a really short, I mean, it wasn't even a dash. It was more like a dot. I mean, life expectancies were pathetic, okay? And so you had this in the first century. Now, you had people who believed in an afterlife, the Egyptians, the Greco-Romans, some parts of the Assyrians, they believed in the afterlife, but it was whacked out like not something that you would look forward to. In the Greco-Roman world, they called it the underworld. How exciting does that sound? Let's all go to the underworld. That's going to be fun, right? We, we actually have a TV series today that maps out everlasting life in that kind of a way that they thought of things in the first century. It's a TV series that's got a lot of traction right now. It's called The Walking Dead. Maybe you've seen it, right? So let me ask you a question. Uh, how would you like to live forever as a zombie? Any takers? Brains, right? No, it does. There's nothing about that that sounds appealing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. For those of you here this morning that actually believe in an afterlife, and that there's some good stuff about it, I have news for you. That didn't just come out of nowhere. You actually believe that because of Christianity. You actually believe that because of people like Paul and Peter and Mark and John and James, the brother of Jesus, who talked about the resurrected life, who talked about heaven, who, who talked about what it would be like when God makes all things new. And so I want you to kind of explore this idea with me today in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you brought a Bible, you can crack it open to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4. Um, if not, they'll put it on the big screen. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. That was a city at the time of about 200,000 people. It was a big town. And they were at the crossroads of the Ignatian Way and the Danube River. So lots of people and goods flowed through Thessalonica. And this letter of Paul is all about the second coming, what New Testament scholars call the parousia. It's got this fancy name. But the second coming, when Jesus comes back. And so apparently Christians in this church were confused and becoming discouraged because of things they thought about the parousia, about the second coming of Jesus and about Resurrection Day. And so Paul writes this letter to kind of set things right. And we'll pick it up in verses 13 and following. 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Okay? So, first and foremost, Paul's like, we don't want you to grieve like everyone else. You shouldn't be grieving like everyone else because you have something they don't have. You have a hope that they don't have. And, and, and why would he say that? Well, you know, in the Greco-Roman world, they kind of believed in the afterlife. I talked about it, the underworld, okay? They would put coins on your eyelids so that you could pay Sharon to transport you to the underworld. It worked out great, but it was not something that most Greco-Romans looked forward to. As they were talking about, yeah, it's going to be the afterlife, it was more like, yeah, the afterlife, it's going to go on forever. You know, they were not excited. It was not an exciting thing about it. And, And Paul says in this first verse... No, you have something better. You have something different, okay? And so let's go on, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So since Jesus has been raised, he's saying, uh, God's going to bring back some God's going to bring back only the Christians that are baptized with the Holy Spirit. God's going to bring back the people who've completed the New Testament challenge. What, how many, how many people, when God will bring back with him, who? Believers who've died. That's everybody. Believers who've died. If you're a believer, if you put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, that's you in that category. And everyone will be raised. All right? Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Let me find my, uh, We tell you this directly from the Lord, verse 15. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. The people who are alive at the end when Jesus comes back have no advantage. Everybody gets in on Resurrection Day. And there's a Greek word here used, um, apentasis, which has to do with a special kind of meeting they would have when a a very special Roman public official would be coming to town. Instead of him going directly into town, the town would have honored delegates that would be sent out to go meet the honored official and then kind of usher them into the city in this big pomp and circumstance parade. And so that's kind of the imagery Paul has in mind about how this is going to shake out at the end. And so this is important because Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead, and he is the first of many. We who believe on Jesus believe that he's just the first, that all of us get to participate in it too on that day when he comes back. And that's awesome news. That's awesome news. Because if God can take a broken, crucified, dead body and bring it back to life, God can do some amazing things in your life. He can. And so that's kind of the hope and the promise that's woven into these verses in 1 Thessalonians. Um, Let me ask a question in, in light of this passage. And the question is, what kind of hope do you have for the long haul? 
what kind of hope do you have? I mean, are you one of those that, yeah, you're born, you live, you die, that's it, ding, game over, thanks for playing? Are you in the category of, yeah, there's an afterlife, I'm not sure how it all plays out, I'm, I'm hoping I'll get in? I mean, what kind of hope do you have? Is it more wishful thinking or is it a settled confidence? Today I want to suggest to you that you can have a settled confidence. Here's, here's the deal. You, you, a lot of people love Jesus and his teachings, even in America today. They love the fact that Jesus taught about justice. They love the fact that Jesus taught about forgiveness and love. They love his teachings, but you can't take those things without the resurrection. A lot of people love the fact that Jesus healed and that he spent time investing of himself in the hurting, in the broken, in the downtrodden of life. And people look at that and they're like, Jesus is awesome, but you can't take that without the resurrection. The resurrection is what gives all of that power and oomph, okay? So here's the, you know, this man, Jesus, whose life is recorded in these, in these gospels and in these letters, these men died insisting that they had seen him with their own eyes, Okay, Many of them, Peter uh, was crucified upside down according to church tradition. You know, James. I mean, uh, these guys literally uh, were executed and, and would not have been executed if they would just kind of change their story a little bit. And to a last man, every single one, every single one said, you know what? No. I saw him. He didn't stay dead. I'm telling you, it doesn't make sense. I can't explain it. It's the power of God. It's this thing that God is doing, but I'm telling you, he didn't stay dead. Um, If you're familiar with Chuck Colson, Chuck was this guy who was involved in the Watergate break-in in in, uh, the 1970s, and there were 12 of them that were kind of instrumental in breaking into Watergate on behalf of President Nixon. And they made a pact, the 12 of them, and the pact was... We're not going to tell the truth about this break-in. We're going we're gonna to all stick together, and we're going to keep our stories together, and none of us is going to jail. Do you know how long that pact lasted? Three weeks. Three weeks, and Chuck Colson heard that one of them was meeting with the FBI, and one by one they ran to the FBI to tell their story so that they could get off. And Chuck says of his own experience, for the life of me, we were the 12 most powerful men in the world and we could not keep a secret for three weeks. There is no way these men in the first century concocted a story about the resurrection. It had to have happened. It would have gotten out, okay? So for those of you that are in the category of, I love Jesus, yes I do, okay? You're like, I'm one of the faithful, I'm in, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. Yes, Jesus is someone I believe in and follow. Here's what the resurrection means for you. It means that you can actually risk. You can actually risk because this life isn't all there is. You can actually serve people without them serving you back and be okay with that because of the promise of the resurrection. You know, in in 185 AD, there were a series of plagues that swept through the Roman Empire, and families would leave their sick family members out on the street. It was Christians who went and gathered those people in and took care of them at great risk to their own lives. They weren't worried. Why? 
they had the promise of the resurrection. So you can risk serving. Uh, For those of you that are faithful, you can risk forgiving. You can actually forgive someone even though they don't deserve it. Even though there's every part of you and you don't want to, you can actually risk doing that because you can trust that God's judgment on the last day is going to be good and right and fair because of the resurrection. Um, You can live and love freely. You can actually live and love freely because here's the thing. Your life is already ebbing away through your fingers. You, as much as you want to protect your life and keep your life safe, you can't. It actually makes sense to follow Jesus' example and give your life away because Jesus will take that and it's the resurrected life. You actually have good reason. So for those of you that might be on the fence this morning, um, I, have, I, I want to suggest to you what the issue is not, Okay. And I'm, again, I'm talking about the resurrection. For those of you that are on the fence, and you know who you are, you're like, well, yes, I like Jesus, I like his teachings, you know, but I'm not sure I buy all the stuff that's in the Bible. Here, here's the deal. The issue is not what happened to the dinosaurs, right? Don't you know people? Then they may, well, what happened to the dinosaurs? And that just, you know, and they get into this big Bible battle. No, that's not the issue. The issue is not the fact that you worked for a Christian 10 years ago and the guy was a jerk. That's not the issue. The issue is not that your mom and dad were so involved in church, and then when they got divorced, the church kicked your mom out. That's not the issue. The issue is not, are there mistakes in the Bible? The issue is not how old the earth is. The issue is, did Jesus rise from the dead? That's the issue. Did he rise from the dead? You've got to figure this out, and you've got to decide for yourself, yes or no, because it changes everything. I love the way one French historian put it who lived in the 1700s. He said, of all the things that have happened in antiquity, Caesar, I mean, you know, the the Persian Empire, all of the stuff that happened in antiquity, the one thing that is most likely to have happened, given what we have, given the evidence, given the fact that we can look in the rearview mirror and see, it's that that Jewish carpenter actually came back to life. Okay? That's his contention. That of all the things in history, man, that one thing probably likely happened. So, again, I put it to you, did Jesus rise from the dead? If so, there's more to this life than this life. That guy beat death, and the promise of the resurrection, I'm going to see my dad one day. I believe it. I'm going to see my grandmother one day. He taught Paul in this letter right here, Jesus returns, Jesus gathers, and there's a reunion, and it's a good thing. That's the hope of the resurrection.